Welcome to Holiday Done Gat, the Claire Drake of a political podcast. Season 4, episode 11. I am your host, David McClement, broadcasting from the Blantyre Free State. And joining me this evening is my eternal comrade, my guys, Digital Michelangelo. It's Deborah Torrance. Welcome, Deborah. Hiya. And the third member of this evening's drumbrit is Holyrood's OG, the wood fired heir, the Pizza Hut Prince himself, Brian Stewart Finley. Hello, hello, hello. How is everybody? We're doing a wee matinee recording because we get, yeah. were supposed to record last night and we had to cancel and reconvene this afternoon. Um, yeah, so I, I... if we cut it off quite quickly, it's because I need to run to get my way to school. <laughs> uh, so hopefully we'll, that will stop us running over and blethering and talking too much nonsense. Yeah, I do like a matinee recording, to be honest. I'm much more useful before 6pm at night. <laughs> I'm more of a night person, as you probably can tell already. <laughs> Deborah, how are you? I'm doing all right. Jeannie oh, had Jeannie. her, she's all right, she had her cataract surgery and uh, she's, I've been making lots of eye pun jokes, which she's not appreciating. I told her that she got the new upgrade where she has to double tap her forehead to zoom in and she keeps, shut up, Deborah. And then I can see her thinking, is, is she telling the truth? I'm just, I'm, I'm going away. I'm trying to recruit her grandchildren and also convincing her she can hook it up to her iPhone. Did Mr. Beast pay for her operation? Oh, I seen that. Nah. Never made the, the Scottish NHS. Nah, just the Scottish NHS. Free healthcare at the point of use. Yes. Publicly owned, publicly delivered, the way it should be. Every time somebody says that online, somebody, somebody has to pipe up and go, well, it's not it's really not free. Actually it's free. actually paid for by a national insurance. Like, we know, we know, we don't think it's just free money, you know what I mean? I use the example, like, see, because you know you always get this kind of, like, there's always a wet blanket that's like, it's not free. And I always say, well, do you pay to, to get that, that lamppost outside to turn on? I day through taxation, but we didn't say it all the time. Like, just calm down, everybody. Although I do remember somebody saying that every time you go to like A and E or doctors, they should print off an invoice, mm-hmm. like we're already paid. Just I thought that, I think that'd be a great wee reminder to people of I think, I think what would happen if if we lost the NHS. Yeah, I've seen that quite a lot of times, and I'm like, I think we've got a lot else on <laughs> like, rather than somebody pulling I just gotta wait you're gonna sorry I'm just gonna go away and pre- pre- uh, you know prepare that invoice that fake invoice we need to give them so they appreciate their NHS before they go when you've got to wait for for the staff to do all the, the hard work they need to do you've got your sign out letter you've got your uh, doctor's note you've got your prescription not he's not ready to be uh, discharged yet he's not got he's, you say that while you're waiting six hours for the doctor to come run with your medication <laughs> before you can leave the hospital yes I heard nurses love paperwork. <laughs> well, if they don't like it, they can strike. <laughs> anyway, let's get on gagged. And it was nice, nice to you smile. Clean the dream, cause you'll never die. The stars will never overtake the sky. Life has its turns and it takes a while. And it was nice, nice to you smile. First item in the menu, well, not in the menu, on the agenda, but I gave away the topic there. Um, restaurants, pubs and takeaways in Scotland could be legally obliged to display calorie counts on their menus under plans to address the nation's poor diet. Plans could result in more than 40,000 businesses having to publish key information about their dishes at the point of sale. The, pros- the proposal is designed to make it easier for people to choose healthier options by informing them how many calories they will be consuming before they order. 
Critics say displaying calorific content does not give a nutritional picture and may be harmful to people with eating disorders. Brian, what's yeah. your thoughts on this? My thoughts on this one is it's an interesting idea. I would I would love to see more actual research, academic research into this, that if it would actually it would make such a, a huge impact. Um, because I can totally see the argument um, when it comes to people who regulate what they eat heavily, but also those who have eaten disorders, because just having some experience of a lot of people who have gone through huge amount of weight loss in their life and things like that, that can dominate a lot of the discussion, the, the lot of choices that they make and things like that. So this would, would make it easier um, for those who do calorie controlled diets which I think is is a positive thing. But I can absolutely see where the glaring, you know, calorific high numbers next to something could, could be problematic. However, it's something that we already do when you're purchasing things in shops. So it's it's there, it's available, you can see all these different things. So um, I can absolutely see... Uh, it's, I don't normally like to go both sides on these things, but I'm going to be a wee bit both sides on these things because for me personally, I think it would be good to see more compelling argument and more compelling debate around this. And, you know, basically the success rate of, of this happening, I think that's more around what I would I would like to see, to be honest, before, before progressing forward. Deborah? I'm quite interested to see how it's going to play out really on at all levels of business, like wee businesses, kiosks, snack mm-hmm. vans and stuff like that. I don't really know how many calories I consume in a day to either use. I know you're supposed to consume 2,000 <laughs> for women and 2,500 for men. Mm-hmm. I'm, probably up, I'm, pro- I'm probably up about 19,000 a day. I, mm-hmm. I think I'm about 1,500 a day, but I yeah. think I, I make up the rest of my calories in fizzy juice. It's a, so, that's a high one. Yeah. Well, it's I, a, I switched to diet just years ago because of that. But Me too. I, th- I think you've brought up some great points there. It is, it's, uh, it can be helpful, but also it might be a bit triggering for some folk. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just trying to create a healthier relationship with mm-hmm. people and food, really. Yeah. Um, I'm not necessarily against it. I do worry, as I said, about the small businesses, how much, you know, it's going to impact them. They're going to have to have costs, uh, new menus, new display boards and stuff like that. And they also have to figure out how many calories are in the stuff they're making. So if the manufacturer who's providing them with ingredients isn't giving them all the information, then I just, how accurate as well is it going to be? Because it, is, that, is there a way to make sure it's totally accurate information you're getting? This is, that's another point. Yeah, that's a good point. I would, I would think, well, how would you test that? You know, like, how would you, mm-hmm. you know, like, they could just be putting up anything, I suppose. A lot. Sure how you'd enforce it. Yeah, a lot of these things that we see, like in, in the items that we purchase, like so retailers, you know, you go and buy chocolate, you can turn it around, you can see how much, you know, energy is in it, how much calories and stuff is in there. And of course, but they work in an environment away from the customer, right? So this is where, because when we, when I first started looking into this kind of thing, this kind of flips a little bit into where my research is, right? So um, when you're in a retail context and you've got the calories and things like that, so you can see what's in chocolate, you can see what's in a ready meal, all these different things, right? So the, these people who produce this work away from the customer, right? And it's already, they've got access to, to labs and, and all these different things to do that, right? Okay. But if you're working in a, an independent restaurant, independent hotel, and you are providing um like a set menu, right? But in a small independent hotel, the menu changes pretty much every day depending on what stock they have what they have access to all that kind of thing so how are they giving us first of all accurate information but then also 
how are we providing the accurate information when the customers are changing what they're ordering? So you might, I don't know, have macaroni chips with such and such and such and such, which is X amount of calories, but they're like, oh, I don't want, I want a half portion of this and I want this and that. So it's there's a lot of barriers when the customer is present in that exchange when the exchange is going on versus when we're in the retail store and we're, you're deciding, well, I'm going to buy that bigger bar of chocolate or I'm going to buy that smaller one based on how many calories are in it. It's a, it's more of a, a sort of raw product that you're purchasing rather than a meal and then also like you're saying you intake a lot of your calories through fizzy juice right so when you're looking at different menus and you've got all these different numbers you're just sort of like okay so you know if i decide to have two full fat pepsis with my meal how much is that adding on and and all these different things so i think it's very much just the presence of the customer being there during that interaction having some autonomy and some control over what happens there could also be quite problematic and i just I can see the motivation behind it. I can see why it's so important for us to have a positive relationship with food. But I don't necessarily believe that this is probably the best targeted intervention. That if we want to have a a, a positive relationship with food, right? So it's about harking back to, well, do we know how to produce? Do we know how to to, to make food in in the home? Do we have access to that food because of, you know, income inequality, all these different things. So it's about, well, if we want to have a healthy relationship with food, right, we need to make it cheap to produce. Okay, so people have access to it. They need to be educated on how to prepare food from scratch because I'm not a great cook, right? And I've, you know, I, I didn't really do home economics past year one, you know, like uh, first year of high school, right? Whereas, is there an opportunity for that those types of things to be embedded a little bit more for people to to know? what to do rather than target and when people go out for a meal which might be you know like a treat or it might be something that they don't do very often and where they could control their diets themselves when they've been given the tools to do so in their own homes i just kind of think that this kind of intervention might not necessarily be the correct one i mean i can certainly see, see some positive outcomes that could come from it like i know when i go but i think generally people's knowledge of how unhealthy a lot of you know mm-hmm. meals in restaurants are because you know if you're running a restaurant you just want the food to taste as good as possible so that mm-hmm. people enjoy it and come back. So if they need to melt put a butter into something to make it better, they'll do that, even though it's like super unhealthy. But if people are looking in the menu and seeing that a dish is like over their entire daily calorie content for the day, that'll maybe make them think twice about mm-hmm. getting it, which will then discourage the and encourage a more kind of healthy approach from the, the restaurants because well they'll realise that the really unhealthy ones maybe aren't selling the same way when people are aware of just how bad it is. Something I would actually quite like to see on food that I eat more clearly is food miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate what you're saying, Brian. You don't think this is the way to you know start a sort of healthier relationship with the food revolution in Scotland, but I do think that as a start, it's it's something. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think we can build on it. I know that some places already do it. So some of the, the kind of food ordering apps, I've seen things like that on it. I don't really use Uber Eats or anything like that, but I do know that there is calories on there. So there already is some sort of, this is this is starting to happen. I don't know if this is on the back of the fact this legislation is coming and, you know, but and I think in a sort of digital platform, it's a lot easier to update things. So, you know, if you're purchasing something, for, I don't know, on, on these kind of um, digital platforms, which are exploitative to workers, I'm just going to put a caveat in there, but it's important for the context of this conversation, is that if you are adding and amending things into like a meal deal or you're changing things or whatever, it's a lot easier on a digital platform for it to work out, oh, this is how, how many calories is going to be in this, rather than when you're maybe in the kind of older school, like paper menu situation, which I know is becoming less and less normalised as we, because we, COVID 
changed a lot how, how menus are. Some of them are, are online, etc. Yeah, etc. The QR code made a great QR comeback. code. The QR code was back and and it was on every single table in every single restaurant right across the UK. But I just think that if we if we want this intervention to be the start of a food revolution, right, which is great. I totally agree with the food miles as well. But I just think that it should be starting in the home. And it's about just making people have access to things that are going to help them with that. So that's about access to, to nutritionists. Nutrition, nutritionists. Is it nutri- food that's nutritious? There we go. We'll go with that. Um, and and whether that be through access, through uh, making it cheaper, or or knowing how people are are going to be able to 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 cook from scratch, because we're miles off from that at the moment. I mean, I was actually surprised to find that the Boris Johnson government brought this in in April in the mm-hmm. UK. Yeah, yeah. And I was even more surprised to find that the Liz Truss government abolished it in September. So yes. Um, I'm not sure that was long enough to get any data or evidence, like you were mentioning earlier, Brian, because I don't think this has been done in many places. So it's possibly that we have to do it to find out if mm-hmm. it's successful, and if it's not, well, at least we tried. And it's is it maybe not like not necessarily having this this sort of car, car, calorific information available when you're looking at a menu? Is it perhaps where you can have a, you can ask for a menu with or without it? I don't know. Is you know because if somebody is concerned about seeing this information that could be harking back to, to an issue they've had with food in the past, and um, you know perhaps a way of getting around that, or is there a way that you know perhaps it's in a, a different location from? you know simply on a menu i don't know i'm i'm just i'm just, it's one of these really quite problematic ones where you've got to be really empathetic because food how we look particularly uh, within certain groups of people whether that be in the queer community with women younger people that uh, they genuinely are suffering from some of the the issues of you know having to look a certain way or 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 be perceived in a certain way and i just worry that making this too obvious could be problematic within that so i think it's just about how do we how do we cover all bases and i think it's just about speaking to all those groups that that campaign on these issues to make sure that we're striking the right balance i think that's a a great point you made there about just having an alternative Mm -hmm. menu i think having accessible menus is really important anyway whether it's braille easy Te- you know, easy read text or stuff like that. And like you said, they're already these options on the on digital platforms. So maybe they can just have a button where it's like mm-hmm. display calories. So that the default is not calories and then you can choose an option to display them. Then that, you know, stays with the within the legislation that's been proposed and also accommodates everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I've got a lot of Obviously, sympathy for people that have eating disorders that this would affect. I just, uh, I, I go back and forth with like kind of trigger warnings generally. You know, I think it's really good that, you know, we should always be sensitive and try to uh, be aware of things like that, you know, whatever people's issues are. But I do wonder sometimes if it, if it gets to a point where suddenly it's everybody's responsibility to cater to what somebody's needs are, and that's really difficult. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's really possible. And I think it can then encourage people to sort of look out the way and like treat it as if it's everybody else's up to them to make sure the environment suitable for them when it sounds really harsh, but sometimes we just need to try and learn a way to cope with our own issues and navigate that because I don't think it's realistic to expect our environments always to be suitable for us. I disagree. I think increasing access for people who maybe have difficulties getting these increases access for all it, it improves 
the environment we all live in. Make things mm. a standard. Make access standard. Yeah, I yeah, think something as a standard is is no is no suitable for for a minority people. I I, oh. I always approach it like the perspective of when I was working with people with addiction issues, and we always had to encourage people to take responsibility for their own triggers. Um, because it wasn't realistic to expect that you would go out into the world and no see an advert for um, alcohol, uh, to go into a shop and be able to avoid seeing alcohol. So for them, they had they had to have a way of managing that rather than just having an expectation that you know everybody else would would mm-hmm. would would take would take it out of their environment and their proximity yeah. because it wasn't realistic. And that's and that's always what I default back to. Mm-hmm. And I'm that's just a that. fair. That's a fair point. I understand that with with um, addiction and things like that, and I think especially if we're, we're kind of verging into if we talk about alcohol addiction, because you know alcohol is so prominent in our society, particularly. Um, and I can understand that that would be really really challenging. But I think just by even the short conversation we've had here about you know putting calories in a menu, I think could potentially be really triggering for somebody. But actually, is there a way that we could just you know literally just provide one tab like you I do in your iPhone, say, and remove? You know, and and that in, well, includes more people. It doesn't make them remember that they had to go through that traumatic thing just by simply removing some numbers. I I just think that what what you were saying, Deborah. I think when you're if you make things as inclusive as possible, then it includes access for everybody. And I I, t- I, agree, I totally agree with that principle. But I think also when it comes to things that become addictive, and and, and it can be food can be related to that, um, or or the or the addiction to to monitor and controlling how you um when you eat, how you eat, in front of who you eat, all these different things. That type of thing is 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 is, is quite prominent. And I think that if, if there's any way that we can incorporate that as much as possible, then we absolutely should. That doesn't impact on 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 wider people, you know. Well, I think I almost started off a whole new sort of debate, you did. Which, <laughs> which was not advised because my wings only left at school. Um, so we're going to move on to the next topic. A school in Aberdeenshire was forced to dismiss claims that pupils were identifying as cats and defecating in the floor after a conspiracy theory spread rapidly in social media. The rumour alleged that numerous children at Banff Academy had requested litter boxes to be right in the school's bathroom. It then claimed that when the request was denied, children had taken to defecating in the floor. In a statement, uh, a spokesman for Aberdeenshire Council said, we are aware of false rumours circulating online suggesting that Banff Academy has pupils identifying as cats. It's disappointing to see this rumour continue to spread. However, both Aberdeenshire Council and Banff Academy continue to focus on the well-being and education of our children and young people. This is just the latest instalment of the, the moral panic that's going on at the moment, you know, regarding the trans community and the wider LGBT community. You know, we saw the stuff around the Gender Recognition Act being blocked, and there's been a lot of stuff this week about trans prisoners. Um, Deborah, i just seen a herd of cats walking back to school for the lunch hour there. <laughs> it's, it's such a ridiculous story, isn't it? They, they said that it was based on a video footage of excrement in the toilet. That's just standard for Wayne's man, they're minging. <laughs> but I just, it, it really is, as you said, it's just the latest instalment in this moral outrage against anything that is not cis-heteronormative. <laughs> like it's, it's, I'm not saying cats are queer culture, although many lesbians have cats. It's a coincidence. I, I don't even really know what to say. I don't think there's Wayne's identifying as cats, but if there are Wayne's who are identifying as cats, I can let them. 
like I, I just I, why this maybe I should take that out maybe maybe question your way and why are they identifying with <laughs> but I just I, I just think that this is building on oh no it's just a it's just a cat phase it's just a gay phase it's just a trans phase like it's it's horrible and it's so exhausting to talk about to be honest if your Wayne came at you Dave and said she thinks she might be a cat what would you what would you say I'd pat her in the head <laughs> Wayne's come up and say all kinds of things like you know <laughs> let's not take everything Wayne say like as gospel like I'm sure at one point one of my kids when they were quite young decided to bark like a dog for a week and like kept running about in all fours I don't think she was making any great statement about her futures like I think she was just being away and being weird was uh, this rumour not straight out of the alt-right in America like it's the, some... it's the exact same thing that has right. been labelled on schools in America. There's a bit more of a, a hook in where that came from, which is even more sad. It was to do with because schools were ordered cat litter in America, and uh. they based it on that. The reason they were ordered it was so they had an emergency toilet when they go into lockdown drills when they get active shooters in the school. So oh, they're the taking that as like the kernel of truth that why is the school ordered cat litter and either completely maliciously or, you know, they've just made these radical leaps and they genuinely did believe it at the time. Uh, but it's now just been a kind of copy and paste thing that um, right-wingers online will do try to attach to. And this is the first time I've heard that it's been talked about in a school in Scotland or the UK probably. It's just a shame that the council and the school authority had to make a statement on it. It's ridiculous. I mean, I saw like, the, the news stories online and the amount of people in the comment section that were talking as if it was real. And you're thinking, are you reading what the, they're actually, the whole article is saying this is nonsense. But the fact that they are actually saying it seems to be a signal to some people that it must be true. It's so twisted. Mm-hmm. Um, when when we had agreed to talk about this, right, like I hadn't seen anything about this. Like I had no idea what this was, right? And I even had to message Deborah yesterday just to double check that I was on the right story. Because I was like, is this real? Like, is it like I know it's not real, but is this actually like a topic that we should be talking about because it's become such a big thing? And then of course it was on like STV News or or something like that. And I was like, I, I completely missed that, right? But it's it's true what you're saying. It's just harking back to these. There's a lot of these weird stories and conspiracy theories that have been peddled that used to happen in the in the US, right? That we would have just laughed at. That that you know people here in Scotland and across the UK, there used to be these kind of odd things that used to these kind of news stories would come about right and there would be uh, people on fox news talking about it and being like this is really problematic and but almost like that would that wouldn't necessarily happen here about these types of things but now they are and this is the problem this is the key key problem here i just would like to know why they chose banff (laughs) to start this this sort of rumor it's almost like oh we're just going to rumor about this person we'll just pick banff right just totally you know off off you know just choose Banff to talk about Banff. People try to be cats, right? And, and it's true what you're saying just about kids just being kids, right? So, you know, if they want to identify for a dog and bark for a week, then, you know, let them let them be happy. But I'm just, what I'm more concerned about, and it just really seems to have just really notched up a, a gear over the past two weeks, is the, the, the moral panic that's just ripping through not just the right wing media in Scotland. This is the problem. So you know the the Daily Mail and and the Express and that have always got these weird sort of. There's always like a, a shocking headline with an angry looking sturgeon next to it or something. You know, the, this is not new. But um, but what's happening is this is actually becoming the mainstream 
narrative. And we're seeing, you know, Nicola Sturgeon basically being grilled on one particular prisoner in one particular prison at a specific time, right? And that is quite odd because I don't know in any other circumstances, even if we, you know, regardless to who the prisoner is, that that happens very often or or if it has ever happened, whether the first minister has been grilled about a specific, you know, person who's a particular inmate who's who's in prison. I think uh, it's no coincidence. Uh, mm. Coincidence. I don't. <laughs> I don't think it's any coincidence of the timing of uh, oh, these no, sort no, of no. attacks. No, absolutely not. And and the there there is a, an article um, written by Murdo Fraser today in the Scotsman, which I saw, saw this morning. Um, which has basically got the headline is you know the gender reform act Nicola Sturgeon's like poll tax moment so basically is this the the end of of you know Nicola Sturgeon's political career as as such as as leader of Scotland right so I think the biggest problem we've got here is we've got Scottish conservatives and and some other politicians some other activists people of certain quarters saying basically linking things that don't necessarily connect together right so I don't know how a bill that that wasn't in place when the situation has happened is 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 actually connected with with something right so I I just don't that in itself is bizarre the, the gender recognition act that hasn't passed that can't pass because this will allow this thing to happen mm-hmm. that That's they say happened. has already happened, that actually in some cases isn't happening. And and do you know what? These types of things happen all the time when people when conservatives are sharing things saying this is life under socialism when it's actually just a picture of like capitalism now. Like, oh, you know, it's it's the same thing. It's almost like we can't let socialism happen because neoliberalism is causing these problems. That's literally what, you know, it's the same type of thing, right? So bizarre. But they've really, really stepped up a gear. And and all I've got to say about uh, and 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 it's my response to I sometimes put out on, on Twitter because I'm not engaging in these really, really small 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 um issues of you know a specific person in prison yes there's mm-hmm. really serious ramifications right there's very serious ramifications for putting anybody vulnerable in prison right so yeah you know that's a much wider discussion about how how people are incarcerated in this country and in other countries and who's incarcerated for what right so but that's a completely separate note because that's a that's a whole roundtable discussion in itself right but if you seriously think that the scottish conservatives MSPs like Murdo Fraser, the Daily Mail, the Express, and all these other people. If you think that that is a, a, a liberating, progressive, and good version of feminism, I just I, honestly, I, it's it's not. It's really not where to go. You know, and, and you can just look at the impacts on on women and girls, austerity, other policies that have passed. So please, I know I've kind of gone a wee bit kind of around the houses with this particular topic, but this is a really important thing, right? Just be really critical of where you're reading stuff. Right. So yeah. if you're reading online that somebody's become a cat in Banff and, and they've got like and you think, is Flossy at twenty-two really the best source for me to get that information from? Um, you know, you maybe want to look at where you're getting your sources from. But also one of the key things we need to get with here is people reading media coverage in a critical way. What is yeah. the motivations here? What is the slant? Who does this publication support, right? It's the same with the National, because sometimes you're like, whoa, like, you know, wow. But, you know, it's the same on both sides. So just please just be, just engage with with sources in in a a delicate way and and be critical, because otherwise we didn't end up with STV News with the headline, Kids Are Not Cats in Banff School. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, like, if you took all the people that were so concerned about the trans prisoner situation, and then 
say, and it was a, a number of years ago now, and you took all the people that campaigned when there was the huge spike in suicides at Quantum Vale among women prisoners, that Venn diagram would be two separate circles. There's none of these people that are suddenly yeah. concerned about prisoner welfare when it's related to trans people gave a damn when women were killing themselves in prison uh, a few years ago. They're yeah. not interested in prisoner welfare at all. Just like the people that have no interest in helping the homeless until you're having a conversation about asylum seekers, they're just wet my wet their eyes that they, they have a go at a vulnerable minority. And it's yeah. the same every time. These are both just said exactly what I was going to say. They don't want to engage in, you know, whether incarceration is re- rehabilitation actually works. They don't want to talk about women's safety in prisons, why are women in prison? You know, that it's you're you're dead right. And it as it's a moral panic. And I was just laughing when you were talking about those publications in America. When I was we my uncle used to send my ma, I think it was National Enquirer or something. And it was like insane stories like my husband has been kidnapped by an alien or something or he, he's ran away with a cow. Like, you, you know, like it was really ridiculous stories like that. And I think you touched you touched on it perfectly there. Our media should have a responsibility about reporting these things clearly rather than just doing the headlines for clickbait, you know, for mm-hmm. clicks. Because that's, that's all it was. Because everybody went, what on earth is that they're talking about? And as you said, I've, no everybody reads the entire story. They just go straight on the comments and get raging about cats and bamf. And it just legitimises these types of things, almost like it's something that we need to talk about. You know, it's like, it's, it's when people are always like, you know, that you've got that kind of friendly centrist approach to it when they're like, oh, we need to hear everyone's opinions on this. No, we don't. What we need to, to do is clarify the fact that this story has just basically been made up to, to undermine, you know, the people that like to to, to talk about gender woo-woo and, and, and all these different things on Twitter, like just to appease them and, and, and you know, stoke this little um, moral panic, which is just, it's actually out of control. It's actually out of control. And there, there was somebody who'd shared a screenshot from the, the BBC Scotland website, and there's actually more stories on the BBC Scotland website. This was like two or three days ago, right? There's actually more stories about trans prisoners than there is trans prisoners in Scottish prisons on the BBC Scotland website. It's like the reminded of the phrase like mm-hmm. um, a lie can travel around the world before truth yeah. is even get shoes on. And, and the- people then start looking for things to reinforce what they've already heard. And I will bet I would bet money. Obviously the, the pupils at Bradford Cab- Cab- Academy all have seen these stories and internet rumors floating about way before they hit the mainstream. I will bet as somebody who was a teenager there is loads of teenagers at Pamp Academy meowing when none of them are walking by people. And you'll get one person who, who that will happen to who will immediately be straight on the Facebook um, community page saying, no, no, it is true. I've seen it. I saw them all meowing. Hi, because they're taking the piss out of everybody because they see these ridiculous stories. Yeah, exactly. I'll be on the community Facebook page. I got meowed at in the post office. <laughs> um, and now I want from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in Central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures, from snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles. Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions, one-to-one group sessions, educational encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do, and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with 
Sense of Nature, quote, Holyrood Ungagged 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, you can do so by email on sense.of.natureinquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature. Welcome back. Um, our next top, topic in the agenda, the law is changing to require voters in Britain to have an acceptable form of photo ID in order to be able to vote in some elections from the 4th of May. Voting ID will be required at local elections in England, parliamentary by-elections across Britain. Voting ID will also be required across Britain at any general elections held after the 5th of October. Uh, voting ID is already a requirement in all elections in Northern Ireland. The government says the scheme, which could cost the taxpayer £40 million over the next decade, is needed to crack down on voter fraud. However, from 2010 to 2016, when the country faced two general elections and a referendum, uh, more than 80 million votes were cast, and there were more than 140 allegations of voter fraud, and only seven people convicted. Brian, have you got your voter ID ready? Well, I'm quite a fortunate individual because I, d- I do have ID that I could take, right? That's, that's um, fine. But there'll be a lot of people out there that don't. And this is what we should be focusing on when it comes to, to voter ID. Obviously, it's uh, it's quite a cynical uh, you know, legislation. And we've seen a lot of cynical legislation being passed by this desperate government as they enter the last sort of, I don't know, year and a bit, that they will have certainly the big majority that they've got uh, in, in, in the parliament. So I think what we'll... we'll this is the time that we really need to be paying attention to what they're actually doing, what what legislation's passing. So they're targeting striking workers, for example, and now we're trying to control who can vote with what ID they've got. Uh, Zara Satana was on Politics Live today, as we're recording on Wednesday, basically saying that, you know, it's convenient that they accept, a, a, you know, a, an older person's Oyster card. So sixty plus, but they don't accept the, the 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 youth, the younger version of it. So it seems quite cynical that they are selecting certain ID types that people might have access to that they don't have. So I think I think a lot of people can see this for what it is. It's like you know, it's a it's a, it's a big huge intervention to stop something that never happened, right? And the Tories love to do that, right? So it's like we're going to clamp down on this thing that's happened three times or seven times, you know. And and really, if there is you know six or seven cases of report fraud right our voting system for the general election is so bad that there's millions of votes that's wasted in the in, in a general election so we don't need voter id to to clamp down on that we need a more inclusive voting system we we, sh- we need to you know there's so much that needs to be reformed when it comes to voting in this country right you know why why is the general election happen to be on a thursday well why can't it run over two or three days like it does in other countries so people have got more opportunity to vote you know all this stuff it's just let's let's open up the, the opportunity to, to use your vote rather than trying to clamp it down because it's just I mean I mean there's great things in Scotland where you can vote for 16 and and we're including refugees can can vote and and all that kind of stuff and that that's great but there's still so much that we need to do with our voting system with how we can make voting as, as easy for everybody to do as possible and we certainly should not be clamping down on who can can go and use their vote Yeah, you're right. It's just another unmitigated attack in our democracy and our democratic rights. Restricting folks' ability to vote based on voter ID and whether they have it or not, as you said, totally two-tiered. There's old folk can use their bus pass, but young people can't. What if you've not got a driving licence? What if you've not got a passport? It's it's cynical, but you can see right through it, can't you? It's, uh, 
it's clear as day what they're trying to do. I was reading an interesting thing about trials that they had during the council and that 30% of the voters who turned out, not the voters who were eligible to vote, the, the actual 30% of the turnout, didn't know they had to have ID, so they couldn't vote. So I just... Can you call it gerrymandering? Because you know for a fact they're doing it in purpose to sort of solidify right. the rain votes. Aye. So is it the, I bet there's a proper name for it. Like, you know how like gerrymanderings today we changing the borders? There's probably a, a, a proper name for it. Fuckery. That's that's a good name. What's with the gerrymandering the electorate rather than the boundaries? Yeah. Ah, mm. it's good. Yeah. Maybe it is gerrymandering. Somebody can let us know if that this is classed as gerrymandering just for the, the political geek in there. It's terrible. And I, as Brian says, be aware of what they're trying to do to us. They're trying to stifle our ability to vote, to vote them out, to get and, the Tories to fuck And then they always talk about this, that this is like a total, um, it's normally adopted by conservatives that say these types of things, but the slippery slope, right? So it's like, oh, there's a slippery slope that we're going to go down. But there is a genuine risk with this, right? Because what happened with trade union voting, for example, is that you need to start to have certain thresholds. You need to, you know, achieve this. You have to achieve that. So what's the, you know, what's the next thing? So yeah, you need to have ID, right? Okay, cool. Okay, so actually it's too expensive to run elections for, for you know, 15 hours of the day or whatever it is. So we're only going to do it between this time and this time. You know, things like that, that we need to be really, really mindful that if we start allowing uh, the UK government to start like sort of filing away the 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 um sort of transparent and, and the easily easily accessible nature of, of voting in this country, which is not really that straight. I mean, you need to register first of all. You need to give your address and you need to get the name right. So you know, there's, there's already some kind of checks and balances there. It's not just like you're you're going in and just getting a ballot, like and you're going around all the different you know um, voter places and that. Just oh, anyway. You know what I mean. But particularly with the trade union, that's an extreme example. But you yeah. can see the 2016 Trade Union Act was, was one of the biggest ones in the contemporary attack on, on trade unions where they need to get, you know, certain levels of yes, yes votes for it, but also have a turnover of higher than 50%. So that's just, it's just like, where does this end, particularly with trade unions, okay? But also yeah. just in for us to participate in, in, in electing the government. So, you know, my view is completely overhaul the, the voting system, first past the post, out the window, make things as accessible as possible, um, and just stop like making up problems to spend money yeah. on and legislate for. It's really annoying. Actual effective directive electoral reform. That'd be good instead of this nonsense. Yeah, I mean, it's, we, we mentioned it earlier about the sort of right-wing things that we used to just see in America that we, we didn't really think we'd end up here. And this, this is exactly the same. This is straight out of the Republican Labour in America, they've been bringing in all kinds of restrictions for years to try and limit the voting power or the, the sections of the population that don't support them, which is basically everybody other than old white men. You know, and that is a slippery slope because the things you're talking about, they do happen in America every year to save money and be a smaller government, as they put it. They shut down polling stations and they never shut down polling stations in the leaky rich places where they know their voters are. It's always in the poorer area. So now that it's regular in America in certain places, that if you want to vote, you need to queue up for a good couple of hours. And, you know, who's got that time? A lot of time. And I mean, during the week, who's got time to vote a uh, couple of hours ago or day, mm-hmm. particularly if you're supposed to be working? A lot of people now in America, if they try and take the day off work, 
in order to vote, which is just obviously affects people that are still at work the age as opposed to pensioners. It affects people who, you know, if you get a nice executive job, you could probably do that. You probably don't be out of pocket, even if, and if, if you are out of pocket, you can afford it. But if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you, you're left with the situation of do I vote or do I lose a full day's pay? And that, that, would be, that, would, that would be on its way if the Tories are still in power for too long. Mm-hmm. Get them out. Yeah. Tory, Tory, Tory. Out, out, out. Um, there is a, I can't remember what it's called, there is a certain form that you can fill in to get a specific voter ID, and at the moment that's free, but that will not be free forever. They'll bring in a you know, total charge for that. And I, I'm just thinking about things like, you know, you, a lot of people might be thinking, I've got, I've got ID, I've got a passport, I've got a thing that will not affect me, but there'll be a certain amount of people who just forget they left their wallet when they go, and then people have went and they get told, no, you need to go here and get your wallet. A lot of them will just no bother going back out again, uh, which will depress the vote. There'll be a certain amount of people who will get knocked, like you said. Uh, there'll be people who will get knocked back because the people are people got to be trained in order to spot, like, you know, border uh, control gets training on how to spot similarities between somebody's photograph and what they look like. So we're going to have to have a situation and make sure you don't shave your beard off if you've got a beard in your driving licence picture or you'll get knocked back. I know Scottish independent supporters that don't want to get another British passport who are saying, no, no, I've I'm just going to no renew my passport until we get independent. If they don't drive, are they going to be left in a situation where they will have to go and get a British passport in order to have a legitimate ID? It just, it's, there's so many problems with this and it stinks. It's not in any way designed to make democracy better or secure. It's just a cheap way of trying to climb onto power when you know your power uh, base is rapidly shrinking. You know, in a situation where it's something like 80% of young people say they'll never vote Tory. The only way the Tories can climb onto power is doubling down and trying to exclude as many of their people as they can because I think they've gave up trying to convince the people to vote for them and sure. Get them out. Okay, uh, we'll move on to our final topic uh, this evening, uh, this afternoon rather. Matt Hancock. Uh, a man has been arrested for allegedly assaulting former Health Secretary uh, Matt Hon- Hancock on the London Underground. Police say the 61-year-old was arrested for suspicion of common assault in a public order offence. Footage posted online showed a man shouting and falling Mr Hancock through Westminster Station and onto a train. Mr Hancock is not thought to have been hurt with this and described it as an unpleasant encounter. The 44-year-old was Health Secretary at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic when hundreds of UK citizens were dying on a daily basis. Uh, he currently sits as an independent MP after he lost the Conservative whip last year due to signing up for a reality show which saw him abandon his constituents to live in the Australian jungle for a week. He had indicated that he would donate a portion of his fee to the show, from the show to charity, but it was recently reported that he only donated 10000 of his £320,000 earnings. Debra. I, I watched the video. Uh, it was a wee bit uncomfy to watch just because the guy was quite forthright. But assault, did they have like, was there... At one point, Matt Hancock said, don't push me, but it wasn't clear in the video what had happened. I mean, harassment, maybe, but I don't know about assault. I think what was the most uncomfortable thing about watching it was watching Matt Hancock squirm. Like, he's, oh, he's like a weasel, to be honest. The donating money a charity. I mean, did anybody actually believe he was going on that celebrity jungle hang a promote dyslexia? I never watched it, but... but... I was told that he never mentioned dyslexia at all. Maybe he well, did a but I just, yeah, it was I, a bit of a flimsy excuse. And his uh, nominal tokenistic fee to the charities is a bit of a slap in the face, isn't it? If you counted up all the monies he's made from it and his book, is it known near half a million? I mean, that seems standard with 
the Tories, Boris Johnson, he's just made half a million in all, hasn't he? I just, it's, it's, they live in a different planet and he probably thinks that he's done good. And he, he definitely has a sort of defence mechanism when he's being questioned about this. And I, I sort of feel sorry for the guy that's getting uh, accused of assaulting the guy. Should I not be feeling sorry for him? Should I don't know. The guy seemed like a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Or was he? He's an anti-faxer and and and. Whatnot. Oh well, fuck him and all. <laughs> I mean, there, there is plenty of reasons to make uh, to hate Matt Hancock without making them up, uh, you know. Yeah. So, uh, if he has assaulted the guy, it's no fair. Don't assault politicians just doing their job. But I, d- I just I don't like Matt Hancock, and I don't think he should still be an elected representative. Yeah, like basically just based on what you've said, like my view is that, that this particular individual, you know, should he have done what he done? No. Should there be more accountability for people like Matt Hancock? Yes. Um, and I believe that, you know, where people might try and take their, their own views into their own hands and, and, and do these types of things, which they shouldn't do, is because perhaps they feel that there's not enough public scrutiny for these individuals. So Matt Hancock was the, you know, the health secretary during the pandemic and got caught. I am having an affair, reaching um, guidelines, very clearly guidelines, but not the law, just the guidelines. That's the direct quote. And, you know, I had to, he resigned. I believe he resigned. Was he sacked? I can't remember. Probably resigned. Who knows? There were so many at that time. And then decides to go on a reality TV show and then, you know, loses the whip and then is still an MP. And it's just, I think the whole thing stinks. Like the whole yeah. thing that's happened with Matt Hancock stinks. Plus the fact he's a bit of a idiot is probably not. It was very kind. It was, it was hardly even shade, Brian. <laughs> it really, he's yeah, a bit of an idiot. He's a bit of an idiot. But it's just, you know, I, I, I think it's just the wider situation. I think what I'm more angry about actually is the this this sort of charade about I'm going to give money to charity and I'm going to do it for public you know to, to raise awareness and you're doing it to raise awareness for yourself <laughs> you're doing it to raise awareness for your own benefit and you know you're, you're giving what was it three was it 320,000 he got or something yeah uh-huh. and he gave 10,000 to two different charities yeah so this is a really good example, right, where neoliberal people, right, businesses, CEOs, all this kind of thing will be like, hey, we're doing this to help charities, we're doing this, there's some proceeds that go to this. And then you'll be like, you know, skimming off all this profit and they'll be like, here you go, you know, we've done some good, but actually it's basically just corporate social responsibility, you know, charity washing, whatever you want to call it. And it's it's about him basically trying to make himself more appealing to people. Yeah. And the, you know, my face I'm making there is is really something. But yeah, he, he tries to do it to benefit his own career. Um, I think he's definitely on the way out anyway, which is I think he's a good thing. Down at the mm, standing down. I think he he done it to promote his book as well. Like yeah. it was everything he done was in his own self-interest. Yeah. And I think that's true right across his political career, to be mm. honest. And I, I'm sorry, I did fall into that trap of when something happens to somebody you don't like, you sort of revel in it. And I did. I don't care. And Fuck I the did. Tories. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the my, my reaction after watching the video was a wee bit different to when I just heard about it, because, you know... I, it took it took the, the joy out to see that the guy was a raving conspiracy theorist and thought you and he was he was quite nasty this the staff member that was trying to kind of calm the situation down as well. But in a way I'm still kinda of glad that happened to Matt Hancock. You know, he resigned he resigned over like this shambolic response to the COVID pandemic. 
he was, I mean, he wasn't responsible for every COVID death, but he was responsible for some of them, you know, because instead of focusing on his job, he was shagging his staffer and too busy trying to get contracts with his pub landlords for, you know, millions of pounds. And, you know, it's impossible to say, but a lot of the people would still be alive if they had a competent person that was actually trying to do the best they could in, in that role. And I think it's good for him to be reminded that people haven't forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been doing his tours and he's getting a bit of pushback for interviews and, and things like that. But people are kind of polite in the most part to your face, even if you're somebody like Matt Rackett. Mm-hmm. And I think he seems like a kind of fantasist that would quite easily... I mean, he probably was convinced that he'd be able to he'd come out and everybody would love him after they came out the jungle. I'm, I hope that has like brought that, that sort of fantasy crashing down through his ears. Because he should know how despised he is. And rightly despised, you know, there's we've had a lot of horrible Tory politicians over the years, but you know, he's up there in terms of the actual real life damage to people's lives. As much as he's a DSD this maliciousness to it as well. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's yeah. good to see Matt Hancock actually being um, pushed on interviews. I think, was it Susanna Reid on Good Morning mm-hmm. Britain, which is not a show that I'm ever <laughs> quoting for, you know, holding government to account because either they're just being, basically it's just, it's full of a lot of um, big egos. Anyway, it was good to see that where there was not accepting the fact that, well, you know, you've said you're going to do this and you've only done this. Are you actually saying that that's the truth? And that's when it comes down to the money was, was the main thing. And it's almost like they were just saying, you actually said you were going to do this, but you've done this. And he's like, yeah, but I gave this money to charity. And he's actually taken that as, but I've done it. Look, look, I, I gave them money. And it's like, oh, it's just the whole thing is just really, really, really strange. I didn't I just... know the guy that challenged him was a bit of a conspiracy, crazy and anti-vax and all that. But I think there's something in that those are the type of people who are ready to challenge Matt Hancock. Because, and like you said, the GB News, they're a bit conspiracy nut egos, aren't they? And all like they, like it's, it's all a big theatre. And at the end of the day, it's people's lives who are lost, like David mm-hmm. was saying there. Like it's such a serious issue. Yeah, like I think GB News in this country basically just provides a stage for these people to come and provide their opinions, right? So you can provide your opinions and take no responsibility for it, right? So you can say, here you go, I'm going to give this particular politician, this activist, uh, an, you know, like an opinion column. But it's opinion, so, you know, it's nothing to do with me. And we've seen that with Jeremy Clarkson, for example, like where, you know, he wrote these horrible things um, in The Sun, um, but Meghan Markle and then it's like but oh it's an opinion it's free speech you can't cancel that you know and and I think this is this is the big problem but in terms of people challenging politicians and stuff like that I think and this is me being kind to Matt Hancock here right is where a lot there's been a, some instances where politicians have been killed there's uh, been some instances yeah. where politicians have been harmed. Um, and I think that if they find themselves in a situation like that, do they then automatically think, is this me going to face something very similar? And I think this is where it's really, really important that, yes, hold people to account, but people, there's ways and means in, of doing that. And if they, these types of people are, are driven to, to go and do these types of, of attacks uh, on, on politicians, I just think it's really, really important that, you know, we just sort of say you should have done that, but yeah. certainly Matt Hancock is responsible for X, Y, and Z. Yeah, right. A strongly worded email to your 
representative. Don't go and harass him on the tube. Yes, basically. I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that left-wing people generally, I think, are motivated with a sense of compassion and empathy, which kind of gets in the way when you're then screaming abuse at somebody, you know, in the tube, because it was hard watching that video because you kind of still felt a bit sorry for him. At least I did still feel sorry for him. And I thought, as much as yeah, I said, I, could, I, I couldn't, if I bumped into Mike Hancock, I don't think I could bring myself to just start shouting no. and effing and jeffing him, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, you know, these right-wing conspiracy theorists have got absolutely zero compassion or empathy for anybody, so yeah. it I comes mean, quite naturally to them to behave in this manner. There's a lot of politicians I would love to just be walking past while they might be on a street stall, for example, where you could engage in conversation about certain issues in a very clear and calm manner to be like, you've done this, you're responsible for that, you voted on this, you know, you have whipped up hate against this particular minority um, that I would I would absolutely do if I, if I was to walk past a certain street stall and that politician was there or they were canvassing for that politician or something I would be very vocal because I think that's that's almost like a, an invitation to engage if that makes sense so it's like you know if people are doing street stalls for a particular political party or that politician then you're just sort of like okay well I'm going to speak to these people but I think also you're saying there that that person was really like horrible to that staff member if there's somebody who is a staff member frontline service worker just just there's no need to be like that they're not responsible for what matt hancock's done you've obviously got really angry about certain things for whatever your main motivations were but ultimately it's that politician that's responsible for it and you can relay that information to the team of that person if they're canvassing on that person's behalf in a friendly way he was going on just... the alarm. i don't know what that was all but yeah i think i've just realized i've only seen like a highlight clip highlight <laughs> Yeah, because you just mentioned Medazolam there as well. What was that? Was that part of his conspiracy theory stuff? I only know Medazolam is a drug that helps people if they're having a seizure. Um, I've had it to get my shoulder relocated. Right. I don't know. It must be something in one of these right-wing conspiracies that they kind of pick up, they kind of focus on random medications and either make, it's either it's either the devil or those select, you know, Worming medication for a horse and decide that it's a medical cure. Who knows where these people's minds work at things? How come yeah. they're never shouting at George Galloway for being a cat? Well, because he's not in Banff. He started it off. He's leading the. <laughs> he started it off. Exactly. People, are, anyway. getting Sa- people are getting Sam Smith hassle. Uh, oh, Denny. Without opening up another debate. But where, where was the? Where was this? Um, these people when George Galloway was leading the youth at Banff and he coming cats. <laughs> That's a good conspiracy theory to start. Is that, a, is that a the white, name of the plot? A white heterosexual <laughs> cis man, George Galloway. And Former M- Labour MP. Maybe he's got a problem when he's a cat. See? There you but, go. But if it's an LGBT <laughs> person, they would have been all over it. That's Shocking it. hypocrisy. You better go and get your wings. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you run now. So you can find all our podcasts at leftungag.org as well as written articles and you can sign up for our free newsletter while you're there. Check out the North American-based podcast, World Beat with George Collins, or the Talking Sense podcast with Kat Nairn. If you've got anything you want us to talk about, and you can tweet us at underscore ungag, hashtag holidayungag, or email us ungagleft at gmail.com, putting holidayungag in the subject line. Uh, you can also join our Vibe Discord community. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you use. Brian, Deborah, thanks for joining us. Everybody, thanks for listening. Have fun, be good, and be lucky. Bye. Bye.
ได้